this, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. From the border of liberty, prosperity, and the highway to the north, this is Safety Wars for Tuesday, December 6, 2022. How you doing out there today? We're dealing with a nice pre-winter weather. It's not winter yet, officially. Up here in the Northeast, it rained and it rained and it rained, but that's okay because we needed rain. A lot of feedback we got from yesterday's show. I appreciate it. Uh, A lot of people liked the idea of getting some information on safety meetings, how to conduct one, how to uh, find out what you need, and everything else that goes along with it. I want to thank Sam Goodman again for being the inspiration of that discussion. He can be heard on the Hopper, on whatever program you use to listen to podcasts. So we're going to have our normal news and views, and we're going to talk about some disaster planning when it comes to power. We're talking energy, electricity, anything like that. Because in North Carolina, they're still having issues, and they're probably not going to get their power back by some estimates uh, by sometime Thursday. And we'll go into more of that in a minute. So, in case you haven't been paying attention, crime is up, especially in the Northeast here. A Philadelphia gas station owner hires a heavily armed guard, hires heavily armed guards to protect his business. We're tired of this nonsense, he says. Philadelphia gas station owner fed up with incessant crime threatening his employees and customers hired heavily armed security guards to watch over his business. Uh, and I'm not going to mention the name, but, uh, basically the recruited, uh, a private security for, uh, firm and they're armed with Kevlar vests and AR 15 shotguns. Okay. Here's my question with this. All right. This, uh, no, I haven't spoken to a lot of people on the retail end or what they call downstream end of the energy industry, the gasoline industry. Their profit margins are very, very low. Even with these uh, high gas prices, they're probably only making a nickel a gallon, if that. And essentially, they're going to be, no, this is very expensive. Is this a publicity stunt or is this... Uh, or something else, or you're going to have a this in here, you're going to charge more for gas and say, look, we have a safe gas station, we got security. It may be a marketing ploy. I don't know. My question is this. If you're in a high crime area, no, uh, that and homicide is one of the leading causes of uh, fatalities in the workplace. What are you going to do about it? Does OSHA have specific requirements? No, not outside the general duty clause. Uh, but, however... What are you going, what are you uh, going to do here, right? Uh, I know with uh, uh, police officers, if you get them on what's called up here in the Northeast detail work, 
you're hiring off-duty police officers. Uh, they're getting paid like $50 an hour to do that from last I checked. So uh, I would imagine it's probably about the same. I don't know if this is the answer here, hiring uh, security with that. And how long is that going to be able to sustain itself? I don't know. We'll find out. We'll check back with that person. COVID-19 can cause serious liver damage that lasts for months after the infection. This is from researchers at Massachusetts General Hospital. They discovered COVID-positive patients had statistically significant higher level, higher liberal liver stiffness uh, than the rest of the population. Lif- liver stiffness could indicate long-term liver injuries such as inflammation or fibrosis, the buildup of scar tissue on the liver. Uh, healthy liver tissue diminishes over time, causing the liver to stop functioning properly. This is, uh, no, a pretty serious thing, I guess. Uh, your liver not working right. Okay. PTSD cure. Scientists say the brain can learn to be fearless. This is from Bochum, Germany or Bochum, Germany. The, uh, German researchers are now using the information th- that people could forget to forget about their fear. It could become fearless, uh, fearless, actually. So the messaging chemical serotonin plays a key role in how fear and anxiety develop. The long-lasting fear response, more commonly referred to as post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, requires significant effort from the ones who have the condition to unlearn their deep fears. Often environmental stimuli that ends up becoming overwhelming or anxiety-inducing triggers this dramatic mental state. So uh, what they're trying to do is uh, intercept the serotonin receptors in the brain, and they're using mice to do that. Hopefully uh, this could help uh, with this for long-term management of this uh, Disease right now. The main thing is our uh, antidepressant drugs, and they have their own side effects uh, that are very unpleasant. How spicy you prefer your food reveals plenty about your personality. If you like, if you tend to reach for spicier foods, chances are you lead a spicier life. Spicier, spicy food eaters, and this is out of New York. Here, I'll try to find who came up with this. And so one poll uh, on behalf of Frank's Red Hot. The survey also shows that they surveyed a lot of people here. So basically, uh, if you like spicy food, you like variety in life. You consider yourself attractive. You are more content with your life than those with the milder uh, heat preferences. 93% of respondents prefer some level of the heat in their food. However, nearly what four in 10 say they go for medium heat, medium heat and 33 go for mild and just 24% like their spice set to hot. Well, this I'm glad to find out I'm not alone. All right. You can guess what kind of spiciness I like. This is from, uh, where is this? I'm trying to find out who did this research. 
This is a little bit controversial, so I think I should uh, look on that. It's uh, by Shane Cofield of NASA and James Randerson, University of California, is the article. And satellites detect no real climate benefit for 10 years, from 10 years of forest carbon offsets in California. Many of the companies promising net zero emissions to protect the climate are relying on vast swaths. So you, basically what companies are doing is they have a carbon offset where we're going to be emitting carbon and we're going to preserve forests and things of that nature. And on paper, it looks great. However, in reality, it does not, right? Uh, according to the researchers, our new satellite analysis reveals what researchers have suspected. Quote, forests offsets might not actually be doing much for the climate. And, well, that's not a big surprise uh, for people who have been really looking at this objectively for this. Uh, on paper, it looks good. Reality, not so much. Uh, there are problems with the data, possibly. Our study used satellite data to track carbon levels, tree harvesting rates, and tree species, Right and forest offset projects compared with uh, other similar forests in California. Satellites offer more complete and have allowed us to assess things, right? We identified three pro problems indicating a lack of climate benefit. Carbon isn't being added to these projects faster than before the projects began. Two, many of the projects are owned and operated by large timber companies, which manage meat requirements for offsite credits by keeping carbon above the minimum baseline level. However, these lands have been heavily harvested and continue to be harvested. Some regions, projects are being put on lands with lower value tree species that aren't at risk for logging. For example, one large timber company in the Redwood Forest of Northwestern California, the offset project is only 4% Redwood compared with 25% Redwood on the rest of the company's property. Instead, the offsets project's area is overgrown with Tanok, which is not marketable timber and doesn't need to be protected from logging. I guess, and this is me saying that, that would cause the Redwood to be more valuable in the long run. People find ways of getting around things all the time. So some agency news. EPA issues guidance to states to reduce harmful PFAS pollution. And that is polyfluoroalkyl substances, per and polyfluoroalkyl substances. Today, the U.S. EPA released a memorandum to states that provides directions on how to use the nation's bedrock clean water permitting program uh, to protect against... Uh, Oh, lost my place. To protect against per and polyfluoroalkyl substances. The guidance released today, which outlines how states can monitor for PFAS discharges and take steps to reduce them where they are detected as part of the agency's holistic approach to addressing these substances. Okay, great. OSHA opens investigation at a shipyard after worker death. This is over in Superior, Wisconsin. OSHA has opened up an investigation into the death of a worker fell off a ship on Monday at a certain shipyard in Superior. According to a statement from the U.S. US OSHA, uh, it began an investigation, and uh, basically what they're looking at is this. A worker was standing on a railing in order to pull a tarp, and he fell, slipped and fell, landing in the dry dock area. And the article I'm looking at says OSHA has six months to complete an investigation into the accident. 
All right, and uh, that's basically it. Uh, according to the police, the worker fell approximately 50 feet to the ground. Uh, they attempted life-saving efforts, but the man succumbed to his injuries. In May 2022, the uh, 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 fine, the uh, shipyard uh, paid a uh, fine for a serious violation uh, for guarding of a deck opening and edges. So they may have an issue here. I'm not looking at, I looked it up there, I'm not looking at repeat violations, but you never know. U.S. Department of Labor finds safety training failures during an investigation at a double fatality at a Pueblo industrial load, loading facility. So there were two uh, workers that were killed in June then when they were buried under a pile of shifting coal at a Pueblo industrial loading facility in June. That family or employer failed to follow required federal standards and did not train their worker on safety processes. Ooh, lack of training. Perhaps uh, the training could have been supplemented. Any training that they did get might have been supplemented by safety meetings. An investigation by the U.S. Department of Labor, Zosha, learned that as three employees of such a, of a certain company climbed onto the coal pile to determine if the feeder below was receiving coal, the pile shifted. Falling coal fatally buried two workers, and a third employee was able to escape without injury. And they were issued proposed, and again, this is they are innocent till proven guilty, and these things always get negotiated down or vacated. Uh, they had uh, two one serious and two willful violations uh, for failing to implement safe work practices and for not training workers. The company faces $304,000 in proposed penalties. Uh, there was a similar incident uh, at another facility in New Mexico. And where the worker was not uh, killed. So uh, a near tragedy, another uh, facility that was owned by this company in 2020 made the company acutely aware of the serious hazards for those working around coal piles. And yet two workers, families, friends, and coworkers are now left to grieve, said OSHA area director Chad Vivian in Englewood, Colorado. With legally required standard safety practices in place and training provided, the company could have prevented this terrible accident. Department of Labor's STAR designation recognizes uh, Bellingham and Blackson Power Generation LLC for workplace safety and health. So congratulations, everybody there. In North Carolina, county declares state of emergency after deliberate attack causes a widespread power outage. Okay, now on to our main event here. All right, oh, let me do this first. Dow Jones Industrials fell today, 33,596.34. S&P 500 at 39,4126. NASDAQ at 11, fell today, 11,1489. Russell 2000 down, 18,1258. U.S. Treasury down, 30.533. Gold, oh, we'll get on gold in a minute. Bitcoin is at 16,979. 
Vell slightly. Crude oil is down slightly to seven. Pardon me. 74.45. Precious metals. Gold at 1780.50. Silver at 22.43. Platinum at 1006. And palladium at 1880. Well, uh, we're going to take a brief break here and we are going to be back and we're going to talk about energy issues and disaster preparation with that. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA recordables, first aid cases, catastrophic losses. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. Okay, I'm back. So our main story here, we wanted to talk a little bit about disaster preparation, disaster response, and then I'm going to include a podcast episode from this past uh, September here. So North Carolina County declares a state of emergency after a deliberate attack causes widespread power outages. All right. Uh, so apparently, just to refresh everybody's mind, if you're uh, apparently there was an attack on a substation by van- they're calling them vandals, but I don't know. They could be terrorists for all I know. They're a PO'd over something, uh, and they left uh, roughly forty-five thousand people. Uh, without power uh, over the weekend. And it's going to be continuing. They restored power to some people, but it's going to be continuing until Thursday afternoon. So uh, what happened? What? No, this is from the New York Times. Two electric substations were damaged by gunfire on Saturday, and the cost is in the millions. And blah, blah, blah. going on and on and on. Let's see this again. North Carolina price gouging law enforced as massive power outage continues in Moore County. So the massive power outage in Moore County continues this week. North Carolina officials announced the price gouging, right? Issues. And what's the weather outlook for the next couple of days? It's going to be in the fifties here uh, for that small miracle there.
Right, small miracle for North Carolina there because now they're not going to have a compound in the weather emergency with a power outage, which could be a real bad situation. So let's talk, and we'll do a little bit of review, and then I'm going to release, uh, no, I'll, I'm going to include on this broadcast a podcast episode from the Safety Wars podcast from September when we were talking all about uh, disaster response and disaster preparation and everything else. A little bit of review here and something I want you to keep in mind. And that is four different scenarios that I outline for disasters. Scenario one, zero to 24 hours. That could be anything from uh, fire alarms, uh, uh, medical emergency, uh, fires, flood, what have you, short-term. But the idea is short-term. Second one is scenario number two, from 24 to 72 hours. And what is that? Well, and I can say 96 hours because uh, uh, FEMA says be prepared for 96 hours. That's just an, a little bit of an extended emergency, which is what this one turned out uh, to be right on Saturday. It's now Tuesday. So we're getting into that 72, 96 hour window here where you have an extended power outage. You might not have power for a couple of days. There may be loss of other utilities like gas, uh, natural gas, uh, things that would be a couple of days long, you can, any number of, uh, things. Then you have scenario number three to be prepared for 72 hours up to, or 96 hours, depending who you talk to, up to 30 days. That's what we're ending into in, and with the situation in North Carolina. You have an extended disaster, extended emergency. You have to have enough resources for 30 days. We'll talk about what some of those are. And then scenario four, 30 days plus. I think unless you're totally dedicated to off-the-grid living here of some sort, I don't think most of us would be able to do that type of, uh, of long-term uh, type of situation. It's a, it would be a little bit of a nightmare on a certain level to do that uh, type of thing. For you know, Can you imagine a 30-day, 40-day type of situation? That would be a nightmare for all involved here. All right? And... Uh, so what, what are we talking about here? This is totally unexpected. You can't plan, uh, you know, you can prepare for, but you can't really plan uh, Say, well, there's going to be a terrorist attack or a crime, whatever they're calling this. The FBI has been called in at this point. Now you're dealing with an actual possible, no, uh, definitely a federal offense, but it's definitely, uh, we're looking at the possibility of something terrorist-related. Uh, maybe if another agency like uh, the Central Intelligence or someone else gets involved, you're going to have, you have yourself a major freaking issue here. I'm sorry to say that. So what does FEMA, and I'm, I'm just going to go off of the uh, regular government websites here. What do they say? So I'm reading off of ready.gov here, right? And what you, you let me say this. You do not want to become part of the problem. Does that make sense? Or you don't want to compound the problems. So it's really important 
that you actually are prepared and you're calm, you talk over, even if it's only what we call a tabletop exercise, what you're going to do. What I've done is I've actually showed my wife how to start the generator and my son, 10 years old, how to start the generator, where the equipment is, if there's a power outage and I'm away from home. Uh, what's the priority? No, uh, as far as everything else going in here and what we're going to talk about there. So here's it right from FEMA. Be prepared for a power outage. This is right off of ready.gov. Extended power outages may impact the whole community and the economy. Power outages when electric power goes out unexpectedly. Where is it going to impact? Communications, obviously, right? So you have to figure out how you're going to get uh, communications. Transistor radio may be one. The internet may be down, so forget about that Wi-Fi signal, even have a wireless. That's where you go back to your radio, AM, FM radio. Now, this is part of something you need to realize. I was on a camping trip with the uh, scouts uh, earlier this year, and I brought out, I always have the transistor radio when I'm with the scouts, and I'm out in the middle of the woods. And I, one of the children said, Daddy, what's that? It wasn't my kid. My kid's no. I'm a radiophile. Right? Well, what is that? Well, that's a transistor radio. They had never seen a radio before. This is... The uh, generation coming up, they a lot of them have never seen a portable radio. Mind-blowing, but still something you need to be prepared for. It may disrupt communications, water, or transportation. What are we talking about with transportation? We're talking about uh, red lights, uh, traffic signals, rail lines. It may close retail businesses, grocery stores, gas stations, ATMs, banks, and other services. So you have money issues, you have fuel issues, and you also have food issues and whatever else you can add. Now you have the cause, uh, can cause food spoilage, water contamination, right? Because the freezers and refrigerators aren't going to work and can prevent use of medical devices. So they have seven different things that you need to do. Keep freezers and refrigerators closed. Use, only use generators outdoors and away from windows. So you don't want to give yourself carbon monoxide uh, poisoning. We talked about that last week, carbon monoxide poisoning. Do not use a gas stove uh, to heat your home. This because you're going to get a carbon monoxide buildup. Disconnect appliances and electronics to avoid damage from electrical surges. I know people have lost all their electronic devices because of a power surge. Right? I wouldn't, and again, Jimmy don't trust. Right? What does Jimmy don't trust? Jimmy doesn't trust any computer device. So I would unplug everything that, no, unless you need it. Use alternative plans for refrigerating medicines or power-dependent medical devices. They, uh, so uh, I, what I would suggest is make sure you have a generator that can power your refrigerators right, and freezers. And if safe, go to an alternate location for heating and cooling. How are you going to heat and cool your house, especially... If you're dealing with uh, an extreme environment down south, the middle of the summer, and you're hot, uh, or uh, you have a heat wave, you have a heat wave, you have a cold uh, uh, front coming through. If it's going to be cold weather, how are you going to heat the house? You have a fireplace, wood burning stove. What do you have? So, how to stay safe when a power outage threatens? Right. 
You have three things FEMA recommends. One, prepare now. Take an inventory of the items that you need to rely on, that rely on electricity. Computers, TVs, appliances, including washing machines, dryers, and uh, refrigerators, freezers, things of that nature. Find out how long medication can be stored at higher temperatures and get specific guidance for any medications that are critical for life. We're talking insulin and other injectables usually. And there may be some other stuff that emulsified things you have to take orally for that. Plan for batteries and other alternatives to meet needs when power goes out. Right? Are you going to have rechargeable batteries off the generator? Are you going to have one-time use batteries? Are you going? How are you going to do that? Uh, weather reports, monitor the weather. Make sure that your carbon monoxide detectors have a battery backup and, and have them in your home. That's one to think of in case you have situations where you are forced uh, to have a generator close to the house or uh, if you're living in close quarters, small lots, and your neighbor puts your generator right next to your house. We've seen that also. Review the supplies that are available in case of no power. Right, Know where your flashlights are, your extra batteries for every uh, person. Use the thermometer in the refrigerator and freezer. That means separate, right? A separate thermometer. And uh, keep mobile phones and other electric equipment charged and gas tanks full, right? Uh, survive during. Keep freezers and refrigerators closed. A full freezer will keep the temperature for about 48 hours. That's assuming it's not damaged or it's working properly. Use coolers with ice if necessary. Use food supplies that do not require uh, refrigeration. I would say I would probably eat all the stuff that needs to be refrigerated first before it spoils, right? That's what I would do. Avoid carbon monoxide poisoning. Keep the generators and charcoal grills and everything at least 20 foot away from windows. Check on your neighbors, especially older adults and families with young children. Go to a community location with power if there's extreme heat or cold. Turn off or disconnect appliances and or electronics because power may return with momentary surges. After a disaster, when in doubt, throw it out. Throw away any food that has been exposed to temperatures 40 degrees or higher for two hours or more or that has an unusual odor, color, or texture. The power is out for more than a day. Discard any medication that should be refrigerated unless the drug label says otherwise. Read those drug labels on all this stuff out here. So you may get a double whammy here, right? Where you get a uh, uh, power outage compounded with a winter storm or other weather event. So let's say you're, since we're dealing with winter in the Northern hemisphere, what do you need to do? A winter storm warning. What do you need to do? FEMA has seven things again. They like the number seven, the number of perfection, right? Stay off roads. Stay indoors and dress warmly. Prepare for power outages. We just discussed that. Look for signs of hypothermia and frostbite. Listen to emergency information and alerts. And use generators outside. So prepare now. Know your area's risk for winter storms. So down south, you know, we just uh, got out of hurricane season, but you can still have some things there, winter storms. I tell you what, uh, my nephew moved down to Alabama and the first year he was there, they had a winter storm. They had snow. Prepare your home to keep out of the cold with insulation, caulking, and weather stripping. So make sure your house is the way it's supposed to maintain. 
right? If you're renting, talk to your landlord. Pay attention, and if you're before you rent, inspect the house, right? Make sure it's safe. Make sure it's got everything it needs. Pay attention to weather reports and warnings of freezing weather and storms. Gather supplies. Again, up to 96 hours of supplies. Uh, keep in mind each person's specific needs, including medication. Do not forget the needs of pets. Have extra batteries, extra food, right? Create an emergency supply kit if you have a car, including jumper cables, sand, uh, sand, right, for gaining traction in ice and snow, a flashlight, warm clothes, blankets, bottled water, and non-perishable snacks. And keep the gas tank full. So if you have an impending winter storm, go out, get a full tank of gas. Learn the signs and basic treatments of frostbite. So I would go, as always, get a first aid CPR class, AED class. During a storm, stay off the roads if at all possible. Limit your time outside. Avoid carbon monoxide poisoning. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Reduce the risk of a heart attack and avoid overexertion when shoveling snow. Uh, just found out a friend of the family, friend of the extended family, died last winter from shoveling snow. Watch for signs of frostbite and hypothermia. And, of course, check on your neighbors. So, real basic, right? Frostbite causes loss of feeling and color around the face, fingers, and toes initially. Uh, nose is another one. Numbness, white, or signs are numbness, white, or grayish yellow skin and firm, firm and waxy skin. For the actions, go to a warm place, soak in warm water, use body heat to warm Right? Do not massage or use a heating pad because it may burn you or you may be doing damage to the skin and not realize it. Hypothermia is a, an unusually low body temperature. A temperature below 95 degrees is an emergency. Well, I'm, all, I'm, no, I'm one of those people that has a real low body temperature anyway. I wonder what that means for me. Is, no, no doctor has ever been able to answer that. Right? Signs, shivering, exhaustion, confusion, fumbling hands, memory loss, slurred speech, and drowsiness. Sounds like me after COVID. Right? First day back to work after COVID. Actions. Go to a warm room. Warm the center of the body first. Check neck, head, and groin. And chest, neck, head, and groin. Keep dry and wrapped up in a warm blankets, including head and neck. If you're wet, if your clothing is wet, take off that clothing. All right, that's basically it for uh, hypothermia and for uh, power outages. And let's see what else we could talk about here. Some more uh, news here, right? So you look at uh, North Carolina here and... They have uh, really, they must have really been prepared because I tell you what, nor, uh, from uh, the hurricanes that they've had there, especially the last one was Nicole about a month ago, they seem to be very well organized. And I'm going to congratulate Moore County for their response here. I'm sure that there were some uh, bumps in the road getting things set up. But I'm looking at, they have immense amounts of stuff, medical assistance and transportation, right, for things. Right, uh, so let's say that you need transportation for, let's say, things like dialysis, chemotherapy, radiation treatment. They have things set up here, and this is Moore County in uh, North Carolina. Uh, 
the regional hospital, uh, First Health War Regional Hospital, backup generator, and has enough fuel to last for several days. I'm sure they're going to get more fuel there, right? Uh, also, shelters, showers, warm buildings, and more county, they have. You can go and check their uh, the county resources on their website. You have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine areas that you can go to, including churches, firehouses, uh, select firehouses, things of that nature. I always you know uh, years ago I was involved in uh, disaster preparation. I tried to do it with churches, and my whole thing was that a church has pretty much everything that you need to do. And I'm sure synagogues and mosques and other other religious facilities. They have everything that they need right there. They have a meeting area. They have bathroom facilities. Some of them have showers there. They have big parking lots. They have buildings for meetings. They have all different types of stuff. So getting churches involved uh, in disaster response and in disaster preparation is a really good thing with that. Uh, no, I, I'm still willing to do that with churches and other organizations every September. We talk about that. Uh, also, uh, uh, you have disaster uh, response areas. I'm going to call one out here is uh, Food Lion. And yes, I did say Food Lion, not Food Loin like I did for years. Food Lion giving out stuff and various uh, food banks and fire departments and uh, other food uh, uh, no, stores like Piggly Wiggly, and no, it's nice and very heartening for me to see a whole community come together and respond to an emergency, especially on uh, such short notice here with everything. And I tell you what, that's what's how you're going to win that safety war that we're always talking about. We're always talking about winning that safety war. So what is the safety war? It's a battle, a, sometimes a daily battle, daily struggle that we have to work safely in our workplaces, to get through your home life safely, to prepare for emergencies, driving safely, everything that distracts you from not working. Well, I'm not talking about being paranoid. What are we talking about? Setting up a system. Everything here, right? Let's talk about work modes. If you're prepared for a disaster ahead of time, you're in the skills mode. Everything is prepared. You, you practice over and over again. You're in the skills mode, or you're pretty close to it. You're more familiar. You know what's out there. You assess. You do the three A's. You assess. You analyze. You act. And you go out, and you do what you need to be done. This isn't a, a, a thing, a really a big thing here. Uh, I remember 10 years ago, Superstorm Sandy, my uh, neighbor across the street from where I was living at the time. Same deal, prepared. He said, hey, I didn't even know that there was a power outage or anything. Why? Because he was prepared. He just hung out uh, in his house watching uh, DVDs. And let's not forget the psychological thing. You're hanging out at home with no uh, TV, no computer, no nothing. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? How are you going to occupy your time? Especially if you have young kids or you have people who are not used to being without the TV or anything. Uh, that's an issue. Uh, everything else out there, right, uh, that we're doing here. 
with the uh, with everything. So uh, I'm going to wrap it up right here for Safety Wars. This is Jim Pozel. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Warning, the following broadcast contains adult language, adult content, frank safety discussions, and stories that might sound unbelievable. But believe me, every one of those stories is true. We didn't start the safety war, but we are going to fight to win it. For our families, for our communities, for our workplaces, and for our lives. I had a conversation this weekend with a family member who visited us, and the conversation was on generators. I had recently uh, acquired a new generator and I was telling him about it and he says my wife would love to have a whole home generator and a generator for the house and everything but I have a hard time justifying the cost and everything else. And I said well you have to do an assessment here on what your needs are, what your experiences are, what the realities are. So you have, I'm going to assume that most of the listeners are on the power grid here, most of our people. That would be, uh, we're connected to a generating station uh, somewhere. It could be nuclear, it could be uh, coal-fired power plants, it could be a gas-fired power plant, some type of power plant, wind-generated, solar, what have you. And now, for whatever reason, that power plant is going to go out. It could be for a whole host of reasons here. What are we talking about? We're talking a storm may come through. My uh, biggest experience with power outage was when a storm came through named Superstorm Sandy. We were out of energy for about 11 days. The grid was down for 11 days. Fortunately, we had, and I mentioned this in previous programs, we had water, running water. Couldn't drink it, but at least you could flush the toilets, things of that nature for sanitation. But without power, what happened? Hopefully, you're going to get power restored quickly and your food and everything is not going to spoil necessarily as long as you don't open up a refrigerator or freezer and, you know, everything's in there. It's going to keep for some time. Whatever that is, I don't know. Now, a little disclaimer here. I don't know. It depends on the situation. I don't know what you have in there, so therefore I can't guarantee an outcome. So hopefully for 0 to 24 hours, what would be appropriate? Depending on the time of year, nothing may be appropriate. Okay, we're just going to ride it out. We're going to not have power. We're going to just hang out for 24 hours. Maybe you have a portable generator. Run a couple of appliances. Maybe some lights. Charge up those cell phones. Maybe TV. Let's say that you're assuming that you have TV. Whatever. Not a really a big deal. What? No, unless you have some cer- uh, some special circumstances like a medical issue where you have to me- run medical machinery in the house. Things of that nature. So category two from 24 to 72 or 96 hours in that range. Now you start to think, well, maybe it would be a great idea to have a generator. What do you need to think about with a generator? You just don't go out there and get a generator and say, hey, everything's great. What kind are we going to have? Are we going to have a natural gas or propane fueled one? Are we going to have a diesel generator where usually those are trailer mounted larger for larger uh, applications like big buildings? Or are we going to have portable one or are we going to have a uh i won't mention the name but there is a company that advertises in large uh hardware stores that has where it automatically comes on once power is lost right that may work for two or three days now let's talk one thing fuel okay fuel 
you have to figure out how much fuel you're going to need for that generator. And if that generator uh, runs, let's say, uh, for four for a gallon an hour, let's make a simple math, a gallon an hour, which will be a pretty large generator, that would be 24 hours of fuel in the 24-hour period. Hmm. Now, what would that be? 156 gallons of fuel in a week at current gas prices? That would be a real considerable amount of money and fuel. But are you going to run it all that time? Maybe... Probably not. Maybe you're going to run it intermittently. Four hours on, four hours off, that sort of thing. Something you need to consider. Where are you going to get the fuel? Where are you going to store the fuel? Is it safe to even store that amount of fuel? Is it legal to store that amount of fuel with a gasoline generator? Okay, now, let's talk about propane or some type of gas hookup. Now, uh, with propane, you only have, now you have to figure out how much propane versus the amount of time that generator is going to run. And remember, you're running that on a load. How much are you going to need? And again, the same questions. Can we buy that much fuel? Is it legal to store that much fuel? Is it safe to store that fuel? Do I have the facility? So uh, the one advantage that if you have something plugged into a ga the uh, gas supply for your neighborhood, which is piped through through pipelines, well your pipe through through pipelines okay how long if the pipeline goes down how much fuel are we going to have in there how much pressure are we going to have in that system well i'm told about one to two days if it shuts down that's my research that says on there thankfully during superstorm sandy we didn't lose that but again you know what what are you going to prepare, prepare for uh i've spoken to people that are so freaked out over small engines they don't even own a lawnmower they wouldn't even know how to start one up. So now you buy one. Can you maintain it? Can you start the thing? All of that goes in there. And can are you relying on one person? Do you have capacity? Can Are you relying on one person in that household to operate this equipment? What if that person is gone? Something you need to consider. Now we get on to a category three, where you're up to one month without power. Is that foreseeable? Yeah, it was here for me. That's what we went through. At that point... You have to consider, well, am I going to stay with my house or in my apartment or domicile, whatever we're calling it, or am I going to bug out? Am I going to go somewhere else? Am I going to go over a relative's house, over a friend's house, in a shelter, a second home, what have you? And if you have a second home, remember you have to have stuff prepared there in case something goes on, in case you have to do a bug out over there. Something you need to consider. How you're going to get there. We're going to talk about that on a future program. How about an excess of one month? Now you're talking about a situation here. So I live in the Northeast here, New Jersey, New York. And you get this talk about off the grid. When you start to get into you know, over three days, four days without power, and you think that's a likely scenario, like there are some places out west that are like that, now you have to consider living and working off the grid, as, at least as far as energy is concerned. There are many different alternatives. One of the things is people in uh, my area, they, and I don't know if this is everywhere, they put up solar panels on their house because they're able to put energy back in the grid, the quote unquote overall grid, but they may not be able to use that energy in their own house. That only goes back into the grid, generally speaking. It may be illegal to have those solar panels that the government just gave you a subsidy on to have it for your own house and only your own house. So that may that may be a, uh, a problem. How are you going to set up those solar panels? 
the other thing is they do make solar generators where they hook up you hook up a power bank to that solar panel and you have enough energy to run off of that power bank some of my projects run off of uh, power banks prior to us getting electric on the uh, project they work pretty well but again what are those power banks good for is it uh, a battery that's only going to run for an hour for some lights or is it going to be something longer for three or four hours some of the other alternatives some of the other things wind power that's making a comeback in a lot of areas in the country is wind power what's my point on all of this you need to plan out for it you have to figure out what's going to work for you and what you're going to be able to manage and other people in your household are going to be able to manage with power uh, another uh, thing to consider wood burning or coal stoves and furnaces and things of that nature some areas of the country you cannot have a coal or uh, wood furnace for a house without a permit fireplace is fine a furnace for uh, and they do make them even here in the new metro new york new jersey area they still make uh wood and it's illegal and coal furnaces for houses but you need a permit now you're dealing with safety issues let's say that you're going to be uh, uh heating the house with wood are you capable of responding to an emergency with a fire like a fire that's are do you have a fire extinguisher is 911 going to be available or an emergency uh, services available all, a lot of that goes into it. With a generator, often what people do is they put them in their garage or in their basement because there's a security issue and they end up all getting carbon monoxide poisoning or fire. So you have to think about that. You have the generator outside. How are you going to secure it? One of the more creative strategies that thieves used during Superstorm Sandy was that they got lawnmowers and they put them in the bat people's backyards at night. So it uh, sounded like a generator, and then they took, took the generator. Person goes out in the morning, and the lawnmower is running. Pretty funny in a way, but that's what people were doing. That's what people, that's what things. Fuel. Where are you going to store the fuel? Uh, so, for example, during Superstorm Sandy, people, and I'm not going to give people ideas on what people do, but where people were transporting fuel unsafely. And bringing it into the inner city to run generators in New York City and in other areas that did not have fuel, that had fuel shortages. A lot of people got hurt. Uh, a lot of people uh, got arrested also for doing that, and that was a DOT violation. Those tend to get very expensive very quickly. Those are some of the things I wanted to talk about on energy. We're going to talk about communication next. And let's not forget, assess, analyze, and act accordingly. You got to know what situation you need to be in or what you need to prepare for to win that safety war during a disaster. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with the Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with the Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, 
we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support.